0: How's everybody doing? (laughs) Mask and microphones don't work super well, but I think I'm on here. So, uh, well, hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. Hope that you're having a good weekend so far. Hopefully you've been able to have a chance to get outside and enjoy some of this nice weather we've been having. Um, As Chris said, we're gonna continue on in our new series called Ecclesia, Why Church? And uh, the, the question or the big idea that I wanna look at this morning is this question of why bother with church? Now, for some of you, that question might throw you off a little bit. It might sound a little threatening or even a little sacrilegious to raise such a question. Uh, But the reality is, is that I think it's a good question to ask. You see, whether you realize it or not, if you can't answer this question in any kind of real or meaningful way, then I think eventually you, or if not you, at least someone in your family will come to the conclusion that there aren't any good reasons to go to church, that there aren't any good reasons to bother with it. And eventually, either you or they will walk away. You see, I don't know what your typical to drive to church is like on a Sunday morning. Uh, but let me just take a minute for you and describe what my average drive looks like. Uh, it starts with me waking up early and grabbing a cup of coffee and uh, maybe a breakfast bar. Uh, I'm not quite at Pastor Chris' stage of uh, digestive biscuits yet, but I know that it's coming one day for me. Uh, this morning I had a protein bar, but uh, so grab that, hop, you know, rush outside, hop in my truck, back out of the driveway, and and typically as I do, I see neighbors out uh, out for a walk, maybe pushing a stroller, or I see neighbors mowing their grass or doing other. Their yard work, and uh, then I keep driving. Eventually, I get out of my neighborhood, and uh, at some point, I get onto 161. And on 161, I have this point where on my right hand side, I have Thomas Worthington, and I see little kids out there playing football with parents cheering them on, and all of that. And then on my left side, I see people out going for a bike ride, or maybe running in a running group, or jogging on the old Tangy bike path. In fact, I think I saw one of our church members in a group this morning, and I don't see them in here, so uh, they're in my life group, so I'm going to call them later. But uh, yeah, so that's what I see, and then I I cross 315, turn left onto Olentangy River Road. Uh, Eventually, I go past Antrim Park, where I see people playing soccer or basketball or tennis. Sometimes you see people walking a dog. And then I turn onto Meekland, and on Meekland, I see more of the same, people walking, people doing yard work. And again, the question that I have to answer and the question that you have to answer is this, on a Sunday morning, why not go to Antrim instead of church? Why not stay home and mow your grass or do other yard work? And you see, these are just a couple of options of things that you could do instead of coming to church each week. I mean, again, these are just things that I observe on my way here, week in and week out. But but the reality is, is that there are hundreds of alternatives to coming to church. I mean, you could sleep in, you could get brunch with friends. You could watch sports on TV. You could go to the grocery store. You could run errands. You could work on a house project, do your hobbies, etc. I mean, look, let's, let's just be honest about it. Going to church week after week is hard. It's inconvenient. It takes effort and sacrifice, but not only that, increasingly it's weird and it's looked down upon by those in our culture. And so again, with all of that, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why bother? Why commit ourselves to, and why make being a part of a local church a top priority? Well, to answer that question, I want to share with you eight reasons why you should bother with church. But before we start looking at those, let me pray for us. Father, we are so thankful we can gather here this morning. Lord, we do invite your Holy Spirit's presence to come to fill this place, to give us teachable hearts to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to know. So we ask that now in your son's name, amen. Let me just give you a couple qualifiers before we get into this. Uh, As you think about this question, why bother with church? I'm sure that biblically, there are dozens of answers to this question. And so, uh, you know, what I share with you this morning, it's probably in no ways an exhaustive list or an exhaustive answer to the question. Uh, but these are just some of the main things that I thought about as I considered this question this week. And also the other thing I wanna say upfront is that when I talk about church here, I'm not just referring to the Sunday morning gathering. I mean, that's included. Certainly that's part of what it means to belong to a church. And, but, but, but when you think about, uh, so when I talk about church this morning, I'm talking about all of the various components and aspects that make up a local church. And so keep that in mind. What happened? We got blue. Uh, And so with those qualifiers out of the way, let me just share with you, uh, again, eight reasons why you should bother. The first reason is this, in order to be uh, attached to, and connected to Jesus, you need to belong to a local church. You see, Chris really hit on this idea last week when he walked us through Ephesians 1. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but, but specifically in Ephesians 1 in verses 22 and 23, it says this, and God placed all things under his feet, this being Jesus, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, because Jesus is the head and the church is the body, in order for you and I to be connected to him, we have to be connected to the church. In other words, what I'm getting at here is that there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You see, we live in such an individualistic society, the type of society that tries to push you to privatize your religious beliefs. And yet as Christians, we can't do that. No, you see, Christianity is not a set of private, personal beliefs, but rather it is a set of common, shared beliefs. You see, to be a Christian is to be in Christ, and to be in Christ is to be a part of his body. And I think for that to be real, for that to be real and meaningful, that means you must be a part of a local church. You see, just saying I'm a Christian and I belong to the universal church or I'm a Christian, but I kind of jump around from church to church. I don't have anywhere that that is like sort of my church home. That simply does not work with how Jesus designed the church. You see, it's in a local church that a Christian receives accountability, receives protection and pastoral care. You see, you may be able to listen to a great sermon on YouTube by Tim Keller, but Tim Keller is not praying for you. He isn't going to shepherd you through difficult times in your life. He isn't gonna sit beside you and wrestle with you through your theological doubts and hangups. And so again, I would argue here that if you and I, if we wanna be attached and connected to Jesus, the head, then we need to be connected to and belong to his body, the church. And again, for that to be real, for that to be meaningful, I think that involves a local church. And so that's the first reason here as to why bother. Let's go to a second reason, which is this. The church is one of God's main tools to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. You see, during these days of COVID, there's been one verse that I've heard quoted many times from from various Christians. And sometimes they've quoted it as a way to make people feel bad for staying home or for not putting themselves at risk. Sometimes they've used it as a way to uh, talk about churches or church leaders as they uh, sort of walk through that process of, should we reopen? You know, things like that. But when I, and that's not how I want to use it here. You see, when, I, when this verse was written, I don't think a worldwide pandemic was in the author's mind. But, but even still, it's a very important verse. And again, the verse I'm talking about here is Hebrews ten twenty five. But actually, let me back up here to verse 23, which says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see what this verse is getting at is the fact that you and I need each other. And because we need each other, we need to regularly meet together in order that we can encourage one another that we can spur and motivate each other on to love well and to do good deeds, to, to grow and to mature in our faith. Uh, one of the books I looked at this week in my uh, preparation for this time was a book by a guy named Sam Alberry. Maybe you've heard that name before, but the book's called Why Bother With Church? And so, yes, I totally ripped off the title uh, for this, this message here. But, but in there, he, there's a section where he's looking at this verse in Hebrews. And Alberry writes this. One of the reasons the church is vital is that the practice of meeting together is one of the key ways in which God encourages us in our faith. We have been designed to need other Christians to help us keep going in the faith and to whom we can be an encouragement to do likewise. You see, again, what Alberry is getting at here is that we need each other. And because we need each other, we need to have these regular times where we are together face to face with fellow Christians. You see, it's no secret that, that church attendance overall in the United States has been declining for quite some time. And now here with COVID, it looks like it'll only do farther damage to that even after COVID is over. And, and the thing is, is that for most people, they don't stop going to church uh, sort of on a whim or all at once. And in other words, what I mean is that it's very rare to have someone who is, is used to attending the Sunday gatherings week after week, and then all of a sudden stop coming altogether. No, what usually happens is it's a slow fade. It's a, it's a slow drift out of the church. And, and, and again, I've seen this pattern dozens and dozens of times throughout the years. And, and sometimes it looks like, you know, they're, they're here basically virtually every week, four out of four weeks uh, on average a month. And then maybe they get a little busy or they get a little tired and they say, you know what? Hey, let's have a, let's have a rest day. We're going to have a self-care day and stay home. And then they're like, Hey, that was pretty nice. Let's. And so what happens is they start coming three out of four weeks a month. And then sometimes it goes down to two out of four weeks a month and then one out of four. And next thing you know, it's like, well, maybe we should just take a little break from church or maybe we should think about visiting another church, but you never actually get around to to visiting anywhere else. And before long, what you have is you have a professed Christian who doesn't attend church or belong to a church at all. And again, I know right now things are weird. I know everybody's church attendance is a little wonky with COVID and I get that, and that's completely understandable. But one of the things I was thinking about is I think a lot of people are gonna get used to not coming to church during this season, or they're gonna get used to watching church at home. And and I think that even after COVID is over, I think people in that category really need to prepare themselves because it's going to take some major effort and some major determination to get back into the rhythm of belonging to a community and making it a priority in your life. And what we see here in this Hebrews passage is that a major component of the gathered church is for us to encourage each other. And I know that for me in my life, the the local church has served this need. It has been the place that I have received life-giving encouragement. Without the church, I would have given up years ago. I never could have made it both as a Christian and even just someone trying to live life. Whether it was early on in my Christian life where godly people came around me and encouraged me and loved me and even cheered for me even in all of my immaturity. Or whether it's today, now, after many, many years of following Jesus, I am still in need of encouragement on a weekly basis. In fact, this verse here in Hebrews seems to indicate that the longer that you go on in your walk with Jesus and and the closer that it gets to his return, the more necessary it is for us to meet together on a regular basis to encourage each other. I mean, I even in a very real way experienced this this week. Uh, There's some things going on in my uh, personal life right now that have made this week particularly discouraging and painful, And, and as a result at our Friday elders meeting, I was sharing that with the other pastors. And and, and as they uh, begin to uh, give expressions of empathy and and share words of comfort, and then even more than that, as they uh, gathered around me and prayed for me, I was so blessed and encouraged by their prayers. And so this is a really important reason as to why you and I should belong to the church. Let's go to a third reason here, which is this. God has given each Christian spiritual gifts, which are meant to serve and to bless others. You see, here's the thing when you and I, when we disengage or when we check out of church or when we're not consistent, not only do we hurt ourselves, but we also hurt our fellow believers. What I mean by that is that God has given each of you, each of us, spiritual gifts, all of which are vital and important in the life of the church. And those gifts are meant to serve, those gifts are not meant to serve and to bless you, but they're meant to serve and to bless others. And so again, because that's true, the church needs you to be committed and engaged in the life of the church. Uh, Paul really lays this out here in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about this in detail, but in verse four, he writes this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Skipping down to verse 11, it says, All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So again, what Paul is saying here is, look, there are different gifts. There are a variety of gifts and manifestations of the Spirit in the life of the church. And it's up to the Spirit to determine who gets what gift. But the reason why the Spirit gives these gifts in the first place is for the common good. Again, they're for each other. They're for other believers. Paul continues in verse 15, he says, "'Now if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, "'I do not belong to the body. "'It would not for that reason "'stop being a part of the body. "'And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, "'I do not belong to the body. "'It would not for that reason "'stop being a part of the body.'" If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we must treat with special honor. See, what Paul is saying here is that each gift in the church is essential. The church is not a one man or a one woman show. And I know that sometimes the way that we do Sunday morning gatherings here in the West uh, makes it seem like that. But that is not the case. That is not what the way that's not the way scripture talks about it. You see, again, when you and I don't show up to church or to life group, not only do we hurt ourselves, but we also hurt the rest of the body. And the reason for that is because each of us has gifts and callings from the Lord, which are intended and are designed to serve and to bless others. And so that's another reason here. Let's go to the fourth reason, which is this. Belonging to the church is practically how we practice the one another's of scripture. Now maybe for some of you, you didn't grow up in church and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the one another's, but but basically what the one another's are referring to is that there are dozens of commands in the New Testament given to Christians in regards to how they are to treat each other. In fact, according to some Bible scholars, scholars, there's over 59 one another's in the New Testament alone. Now they can range in quite a bit what they're talking about. Like for example, there's encourage one another or be at peace with one another. Or another one uh, is greet one another with a holy kiss, which I know we can't do right now because of COVID. Uh, But I think if we were being honest, uh, contemporary scholars and church leaders had already reinterpreted that one to mean greet one another with a holy awkward side hug. You ever had one of those before? Uh, That's like the greet one another with a holy kiss. But, But anyway, again, if we're going to practice these, we have to be a part of the body. When you think about these 59 one another's, in many ways, they could be sort of summed up in this one one another found in John 13, which says this. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, if you're not committed or a part of a local church, then it's basically impossible to obey these commands. And here's the thing about this verse in John 13. It's totally unqualified. I mean, this verse doesn't say only love those who look like you, talk like you, and think like you. It doesn't say anything about only love those who are easy to love. No, it just simply says, love one another as I have loved you. And guess what, inside a church community, you get to meet and rub shoulders with a lot of people who are at times hard to love. And yet it's precisely because of that reality Because the church is full of different kinds of people and personalities, that our love for each other speaks so powerfully to the watching world. And according to Jesus, this is how they know that we are his disciples. Now look, if we're being honest here again, uh, during these last several months, the Christian community as a whole maybe hasn't done the best at obeying this. I mean, again, if we're being honest, I'm not sure the watching world is all that impressed with us. But even still, this is what we have been called to This is what Jesus has commanded you and I to do, to love one another well, just as he has loved us. And again, the truth is, is that we can really only obey this in the context of relationships, which is why we need to belong to a local church. And look, this doesn't mean that if you have conflict or disagreement with fellow believers in your church, uh, that you, you just give up and you walk away. But what it means is that there is a commitment to believe the best about each other. There's a commitment to love one another, even in our disagreements, and to forgive and to reconcile with each other when there has been an issue. You see, right now in our culture, both in families and friend groups and workplaces or wherever else you live life, in our culture, there's this feeling of, there's no room for conflict or disagreement. No, instead we live in a moment where everything has become very tribal and everyone is trying to surround themselves only with those who think exactly like them. And if someone disagrees with you or offends you, you unfriend them or you talk bad about them to others, but that is not what the church has been called to. The church has been called to a different kind of community. Again, there are over 59 one another's in the scriptures of how we are to treat and interact with each other. And in order for us to do that, we need to be a part of a church. And so that's the fourth reason. Let's go on to the fifth, which is this. The church community is a safeguard and it helps us discern truth from error. In 1 Timothy, Paul is laying out here his basic theology and his doctrine of what the church is to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy. And in chapter three, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes this. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now in the context here, I think Paul has in mind the big C church, or in other words, the the universal church. But, But even still, I think there is a principle here which applies to the local gathering. You see, when you and I, when we're involved in a local church that is centered on Jesus and that is committed to his word, there is protection and safety there. Again, in that kind of community, it provides a resource to help you and I understand and to know what is true And conversely, it also helps you and I to see and to understand and discern that which is false and untrue. I mean, I've met a lot of people over the years who are convinced of some pretty weird stuff, both theologically and just about life in general. But one of the main common denominators with all of them is that they're not involved in a local community, uh, a local church anymore. The other common denominators, they watch a lot of YouTube videos, but that's beside the point. You see, here's the thing, it gets a lot more difficult to buy into unorthodox beliefs or even bizarre conspiracy theories when you are involved in and connected to a local church, which is based on the word of God. You see, in a healthy local church, there is a range of diversity, whether it's diversity in age or race or to some level political thought or theology on secondary issues. And all of this collective diversity brings with it wisdom and discernment. And it keeps us, I think, if we stay committed to it, it keeps us protected and it helps us discern truth from error. Another reason here, reason six is the church is where God's people are taught God's word so that they can grow spiritually. Now, there are multiple passages in the New Testament which make this point clear, but, but many of them come from, uh, again, 1st and 2nd Timothy, which I just mentioned, are, are basically Paul's like theological dissertation on the church. And so let me just share uh, with you some of these here now. The most well-known one, perhaps, is 2nd Timothy 3.16, which says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Another well-known one in 2 Timothy is uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, which says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You see, in the context of a local church where the word of God is taught and preached and applied and there's accountability to it, It has the result then to, uh, as it says here, to rebuke us, to correct us. It has the ability to train and encourage us. And all of that, if we are willing, if we have humble hearts, it has the capacity to help us grow spiritually. I mean, don't get me wrong. You and I, as Christians, we have the ability to study and learn the scriptures on our own. And we can and should do that. However though, there's something special I think that happens when the word of God is preached and taught in the gathered assembly. There's just something about it and I can't fully explain it but I just know that it's a vital source of spiritual growth. I know for me that some of the most pivotal moments in my walk with the Lord and some of the most real experiences of his presence have come in the context of sitting under the preached word. And there's probably a lot more we could say on this, but let's go to a seventh reason here, which is this. When you become a Christian, you join God's family. And because of that, there are familial expectations and responsibilities. You see, it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, that to all who did receive him, this being Jesus, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As well, it talks about in Ephesians one and in Galatians chapter four, that you and I have been adopted into the family of God. And Ephesians two, it says there that we are members of his household. And the reason that matters and the reason that it's relevant in relation to the church is that again, by joining God's family, you now have these familial expectations and responsibilities. And I know that for some of you, you did not grow up in a healthy or a good family context. But when you think about what makes up a good family, there are just these expectations and responsibilities that come with it. Things like you show up when the family gets together. Things like you pitch in and you help clean up when there's a mess. You resolve to work things out even when there is conflict or disagreement. You don't ditch your family when, and look for a new one when they have let you down or have offended you. No, in a family, there is loyalty and there is allegiance to each other. And in the same way, many of those same expectations and responsibilities, they carry over to the family of God. You see, because we are in Christ, not only do we belong uh, to him, but we belong to each other. And because we belong to each other, we have responsibility to each other. Again, Sam Alberry in that book, he wrote this. It is impossible to be in Christ and not belong to others. A Christian, by definition, has a connection with and a responsibility to other Christians. And again, in a church family, I think it looks like showing up when the family gets together. It looks like pitching in and helping as so many of you men did just a few weeks ago when we tore out the church pews. And speaking of the pews, I know many of you uh, were upset by that decision and you uh, you would have preferred that we didn't do that. But guess what? In a family, sometimes it means you sacrifice your wants and your desires for the sake of others. As well, it looks like doing conflict resolution when you and another brother or sister has an issue. As I said earlier, it looks like believing the best about each other and not gossiping behind each other's backs. And not only that, but here's the other thing about family. A consumer mindset and a consumer mentality doesn't work when it comes to family, and it also doesn't work when it comes to church. One pastor I read this week, a guy by the name of Stephen Cole, he put it this way. He said, families gather for fundamentally different reasons than audiences do. Families get together for relationships because of the common family bond. Family members don't threaten to go join another family if there are conflicts or if the family gatherings aren't meeting their needs. The family bond keeps them together so that they work out their differences in love, or at least that's what should happen in Christian families and in the family of God, the church. Now, when I read that quote this week, it made me think of a a story from my life a few years ago. We were uh, up in uh, Grand Haven on Lake Michigan, uh, which by the way, um, growing up in Ohio, we have this thing with Michigan. And so I had never been there like growing up, but I'm gonna tell you all, if you've never been there, you're missing out. Lake Michigan is maybe one of the most beautiful places uh, that you can drive to and and, and, uh, where we live. But uh, anyway, that aside, we we were in Grand Haven and we were on the beach. and It was kind of a busy day. And I think, you know, many of you know, we have four kids and the two youngest are twins. And at the time, the twins were maybe like one, one and a half, something like that. And because the beach was crowded, you had to kind of sit next to other people. And so uh, here's Henry. He's, uh, you know, again, one of our twins. Oh, we have a picture of him. Yeah, there he is. And this is on the trip. Uh, I know it looks like he's naked, but he, I'm gonna assure you he has a swim diaper on here. Um, but anyway, we're on this beach and... He he we he kept cr- crawling over to this other family group and it wasn't like this other family had a bunch of little kids or a bunch of really fun sand toys. No, it was like a group of teenagers and like their mom and their aunt, but, but he still like, he just kept going over there. So the first couple of times we'd walk over and pick him up, sorry, you know, and, and put him back down, uh, but he just kept doing it. And so eventually we gave up and we're like, hey, this is Henry, can he just like sort of hang out for a little bit, you know, and, and, and they really liked it. And they're like, sure, you know, and they got a big kick out of it. But when you think about that story and that scenario, how crazy would it be for us if we were like, you know what guys, it really seems like you're a better fit for Henry. Uh, It seems like he prefers you, you're meeting his needs in a way that we're not. And so why don't you go ahead and take him, right? Like that would be crazy. And yet in American church culture, switching churches on a regular basis is completely normal and acceptable. Now look, please hear me on this. I realize that there are totally legitimate reasons to look for a new church. And I know that God does call people to go somewhere else. I mean, that's been true in my own life. So don't don't mishear me if like you're visiting or something. You're like, oh no, no, but I I know that happens. However, though, I think what Cole said in that quote is true. If you and I, if we're leaving a church to join another one, because uh, if that's happening, it better be because God is leading you truly in that direction to say, well, you know, God told me to and not have actually prayed about it. No, God better be speaking to you in that. It better not be because you're offended or frustrated or you don't want to go through the effort to resolve a conflict that happened. Again, church is family. And because of that, there should be a sense of loyalty and allegiance and a commitment to work out our frustrations and differences. In other words, changing churches or leaving a church should be a hard decision. It should cause you a sense of pain and and agony as you walk through that. Because again, in a very real way, just like leaving a family to join a new one is unnatural, so is leaving a family or so is leaving a church family in order to join a new one. Uh, The last reason I'll share with you here is number eight. God's spirit uniquely dwells in and among the gathered church. You see, all throughout the Bible, there is this language and this imagery of temple and in the Bible, the temple represents the place where God's presence dwells on the earth. And clearly we see in the Old Testament, this with the, the real physical temple that Solomon built. And if you've ever read through there in first Kings, there's this really amazing uh, section where God's presence comes and fills the temple. But as many of you know, as you keep on reading there in the Old Testament, eventually God's people sin so much that they actually get exiled out of the land. And as a result, the temple gets destroyed. And and again, in Ezekiel, there's this really moving scene where where God's presence leaves the temple as a way of judgment on the people. But as you keep reading, eventually the people get, they return from exile and they begin to build a new temple. But something I, I hadn't thought of until a few years ago as I was thinking about this, I realized that there's no evidence and there's no passage, at least that I can find, that indicates that God's spirit ever comes back and fills that new temple. You know, again, if you, if you follow it, in Solomon, there's a very evidence like, boom, the spirit comes, but that doesn't happen with the second temple. And instead, what happens is when you read the gospels, what you see is that Jesus starts to talk about the fact that he is the temple, that his body is now the, the, the embodiment of God's presence on the earth. And then as you read through the story of scripture, Jesus ascends to heaven, and then, they, then the father sends the spirit to now live and indwell his followers. And so because of that, because that's our now new reality, uh, in the New Testament, you get Paul and others talking about the fact that Christians are now collectively the new temple where God's presence dwells. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says it this way. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 2, where we just talked about earlier the the household uh, language, the family language that he uses there. But, But about halfway through, he switches from family language to temple language. And it says this in Ephesians 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, I know that God's spirit lives in each individual believer. And because of that, we can experience his presence on our own. But it's a little bit like what we talked about with studying the word. Yes, we can study the word on our own, but there's just something special that happens when we gather together as a body to hear it taught or to hear it preached. And in the same way, each of us can know and experience God's spirit and his presence on our own. But there's just something unique about the way the spirit manifests himself in the gathered assembly. Again, I think this happens when we pray corporately together. I think it happens when we sing. Right, Like I've, I've had experiences of Lord's presence on my own when I'm singing in my car, but there's just something special about when we do it together. That's why I think that's what's made those encounter nights all the more special throughout the last several years. I think it also happens when the word of God is being preached. I mean, even in the gospels, Jesus promises that where two or three are, are gathered in uh, his name, he is there uniquely somehow in their midst. In Psalms, it talks about the fact that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so what I'm getting at here is that if you are not committed to, and if you don't belong to a local church, then most likely you are missing out on that expression of God's presence. And so this is the last reason we, uh, that I want to share with you here as to why you should bother with church. And again, I'm sure that you can think of a couple more that I've missed, but these were some important ones I wanted to highlight. And so to wrap up here, how, what do we do with all of this? Well, I know it's obvious, and I know that Chris made a, a similar application last week, but, but I, what I wanna say based on all of this and based on what I've shared this morning, this first application here is this, you and I need to commit to and be all in in terms of belonging to a local church. You see, it's not enough to casually attend church. It's not enough to bounce around from church to church, but not really belong to any particular one. No, you and I need to give ourselves over to belonging to and serving and loving a local church. And for some of you, maybe long-term, Limworth won't be that place. But for those of you who the Lord has made it clear that this is your home, then I would appeal to you, be all in. Don't be a part-time Christian. Don't make belonging to a church a side thing or a thing you do at the end of the week if you have enough time left over or if you're not too tired. No, be all in. Jesus loves and is committed to his church and he wants us to love and be committed to it as well. And talking about this idea, the late uh, British pastor John Stott in his Ephesians commentary wrote this if the church is central to God's purpose as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? And so that's one application here. The other application I would submit to you this morning is this, resist becoming cynical about the church and instead become a part of the solution rather than the problem. I think I mentioned this sometime during the summer when we were meeting outside, but, but I'm just really convinced right now that Jesus is allowing his church to be sifted. The amount of sin and the amount of hypocrisy that has come out in the last several months is staggering. And with that, I think that you and I can give up hope, we can become cynical, or instead we can check our own hearts and we can make sure that you and I are living holy lives. And if we're not, we can confess our sin. We can step into the light because again, I I think Jesus is cleaning house right now. And if you think that your sin won't find you out, then I think you're deceived. And I think you should be really scared because again, I, you know, at this point, I could probably fill up a whole bookshelf full of Christian leaders who have disqualified themselves or, or who have forsaken Jesus just in the last several years. And yes, if I'm being honest, that is so discouraging. It's troubling, but I'm resisting the, the impulse to become cynical and giving up on the church and walking away. And I hope that you will as well. I read this quote this week that has really stuck with me. Though the church has many critics It has no rivals. And that's so true. Guys, the church is still the hope of the world. The church is still the only one who carries the good news of Jesus. The church is still the bride of Christ. We're we're gonna have that marriage supper of the lamb one day. And so instead of becoming cynical, let's pray for the church. Instead of giving up or quitting, jump in with both feet and get to work. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments together to come around your word, Lord, to come around and and just even have a moment to think about uh, who the church is and why we should give our lives to it. Jesus, I pray you would help me and help my friends here to be committed and to be all in, in the work of the church and to belonging to it. Lord, these are, in fact, difficult days, Lord. And again, as I just said, there's been lots of exposed sin and hypocrisy in the church, Lord, but would you help us not to give up? Would you help us to be men and women who, who aren't living double lives, but who step into the light, who confess our sin and, and fall on you for grace? And so, Lord, would you give us uh, now just the grace to be able to follow you, to live this out? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, thank you for joining us here this morning. Uh, we're going to close with a final blessing here, um, but before we close or after we close with a blessing, just remember to put one of these guys back on, and uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, won't you go ahead and stand here as I close with a blessing out of Romans fifteen? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace.